0: Well, hey, everybody, here we are, you know, Sunday morning, uh, together, studying uh, why church? That's the, that's the sermon series that we uh, have been working through as of late. I hope that most of you have been staying uh, up to date with us and tracking with us around this, this, just this really simple question, like, why church? Why do we go to church? What is the point of church? Why did God create the church in the first place? And with God creating the church, what is the purpose that God has for us as the church? Is the church a building? Is the church individual people? Is the church only a gathering of people? All of these different things we're beginning to explore through the book of Acts, and we'll also be wandering into some other writings with Paul and Peter and and so on to kind of answer these questions biblically speaking, not culturally speaking, because our culture's done some interesting things with the definition of why church. And so we wanna kind of get back to the roots of what scripture actually says the church really is for, what is God's purpose, what is God's mission for us. Now, today we're gonna do something a little bit different. I've invited Pastor Tamil to join me. We've done this online before, uh, but we're gonna have a bit of a, a conversation. And it fits within the sermon series, but it's kind of a bit of a side note to the sermon series, and so I decided to keep it as week three uh, as part of this, but I want to bring us back. I want to bring us back all the way to March of 2020.
1: I think it was 2020. Time has kind of lost all meaning, but I think, I'm pretty sure March 2020, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So March of 2020, it was a Friday. I don't remember the date exactly, kind of mid-month, something like that. We got notice that the government was actually going to be shutting down the daycare centers and the churches and all large gatherings and things like that. And I'm sure many people had a lot of mixed feelings and different things about that kind of stuff. And it's certainly brought out a lot of fun stuff over the past year and a half. Uh, We thought this was going to be three weeks. I remember sitting with the daycare staff, and they're kind of we gathered them in the in the library in the back room there, and they're kind of like up, you know, what's going on? They're paid hourly, like what's happening? And so we're like, no, the board. We had an emergency board meeting, and we're going to pay you for the next three weeks. Everything's going to be fine. Enjoy the time off. We'll let this virus dissipate, and all will be well. And here we are in June of 2021 and uh, and we've just opened at 15% capacity uh, as a church. And one of the things that's really kind of haunted us folks is the size of our congregation compared to the size of our building. And so we could only have a certain amount of seating capacity. It's even strange for you folks online, you don't see what I'm seeing right now, uh, but it's strange to just look out because we're used to a packed room and instead we've got roughly 30 people uh, kind of scattered around the room. And then we've got a whole bunch of people online, which is kind of a new thing, but not a new thing because we've been doing this thing for a year. Not that new. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want folks to know as we reminisce a little bit about this, the difficulty of the decision-making that we've had to go through over this past year. I have have uh, felt for every leader, anybody who is in a decision-making place, because to be frank, it didn't, doesn't matter whether you were in the church, whether you were the government, whether you were, you were in a no-win situation. Somebody was always angry at you in one way or another, and some would be happy, some would be angry, and then you change decisions, and then a new group's happy and a new group's angry. And so it's been a very interesting time to lead through. One of the things that we did, though, was we said to our congregation a year ago, and we wanna remind you of this because as we begin the reopening process, we wanna press back into this because it's part of answering the question of why church. We asked everybody to listen. Do you remember that? We asked everybody to take a posture of listening, to to really make sure that we don't miss this moment, that we don't miss this as the church, the North American church, as Evergreen, that we don't miss this moment Forgot to start my timer. It's dangerous. That, that just bought me an extra 10 minutes. That we don't miss this moment to hear what it is that God is actually saying to his church. Because to be, to be frank, I'm going to give you some of my observations uh, quickly uh, over the past year and a little bit. I really think that we have lost the meaning of why we gather and I think Isaiah chapter one actually deals with that. And we actually, Pastor Tamil, read that passage that we used last week in the sermon at a vision meeting that we had as the church when we were having conversations around building and all these different things. I really think we've lost the why we gather piece of this.
1: Yeah. And that's that's something that I've come back to all year long, that meeting in January that we had. And... uh that The passage from Isaiah 1, I would encourage you to read that. And we read it in our vision meeting from the message. And at the time, it kind of seemed like a strange thing to read at a church vision meeting. Because in essence, Isaiah was, at the time, of course, talking about how the Jews had lost their way in worship. They were really big on the rituals. They had really gotten caught, in up, caught, in, uh, caught in up in the um, the special days and the festivals and all those things. They were right into it. And yet, there was a lot of oppression. There wasn't love within their communities. They had lost their way in terms of what God was calling them to. And at the time, yeah. we as a church were actually discerning. This is, this is crazy. We yeah. were discerning whether to go into a building project. Yeah. And we were going to be having a meeting in March about that, actually, yeah. right, right yeah. after we yeah. shut down. So it's funny how God has shifted things. But the reason that was so important was because we were really saying, like, we want to make sure whatever we do, whatever we decide moving forward, that we stay focused on what God is calling us to. And so this whole passage about, you know, the, it, it's like your meetings are making me sick. Like if you read the passages, God is just like so disgusted with the, the, the meetings that they're having because they aren't centered in him. Yeah. So as soon as yeah. our gatherings got taken away, it was like, yeah. w- what do we need to hear from God? So much
0: so that he says that your meetings are no longer centered in me, and therefore I'm no longer listening to your prayers. Right? This mm-hmm. is from the prophet Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah. And so this posture around how we go about being the church, listening, discerning what it is that God actually wants. I think in North America specifically, I wouldn't say across the world, but I would say in North America specifically, the church, I don't just mean evergreen, I mean the North American church, has really lost its meaning behind why we gather Another piece, I think, is that um, it's become pretty evident that the Christian church, especially the evangelical wing of the Christian church, really lacks unity. And as we lack unity, scripture actually says when you lack unity in the church, you lack witness. So if we lack unity, it means we lack witness. And one of the things that's really creeped out in the midst of this COVID adventure is what I'm calling it, Uh, is that we lack unity in a huge way. And I'm just talking about how we do church, what we think church is, how we approach God, what we think worship is, all of these things. We don't have unity in the midst of those things. Not uniformity. Uniformity is completely different than unity, okay? We don't all have to agree on everything. We're gonna get into that. But we we lack unity in the Christian church, especially the evangelical wing of it, which means that we're lacking unity witness. And this lack of unity, I believe, has led to a lack of understanding and a lack of true worship in our lives. And so you're going to see as we sift through a passage today in the book of Romans, you're going to see how all of these things, our posture to listen, our posture to know why the church exists in the first place and what the mission of the church is, why we do this thing called church you're gonna hear how it's all actually interconnected to whether you are truly worshiping or not. And I really believe that because we've lost the meaning of why we gather, because we lack unity, which means we lack witness, and because of the lack of unity has led us to not really truly worshiping God in our services. And that ties us back to exactly what the prophet Isaiah was saying to the Jews thousands of years ago. They were meeting all the time. They were gathering on a regular basis. They were following all the rules and regulations. They knew the law really well. And yet, God wasn't listening because they lacked true worship. So, we're open now. That's what some of our folks wanted. It was a 50-50 split, actually, with Evergreen, which is interesting, isn't it? A 50-50 split. Half of you wanted us to open as soon as possible, and half wanted us to wait until there was less restrictions. And so we've chosen to do a hybrid version where we're both online and in-person. To be honest, folks, we will be doing that forever. Uh, That's that's just kind of the way the world is now. You have to be both online and in-person. How do we actually respond to God? So we're asked to listen, and I really believe that God has spoken in this past year. I know that I've personally learned a lot about myself. I've learned that there's things that I've built my identity in that God never wanted me to build my identity in in the first place, and these are things that I used to think I had under control, that I had figured out, that I was pretty good at, like almost better than other people at, if you know what I'm saying, (laughs) right? Right? And, and, and this, this past year, to be honest, with all the strife and all the disagreements and all the disunity and all the fighting and all the different opinions and all the different stuff, like there was so much that came to light for me personally, as well as me as a pastor leading a church. And so how do we respond to God? If we took the time to listen, how do we respond? Or did we stop listening? Well, Scripture gives us an answer. Go figure, right? Scripture gives us the answer. We can learn from Scripture and through the early church. And so I want to introduce to you, uh, I'm sure you've heard it before, uh, a book that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Now, the church in Rome, it's an interesting situation that's actually happening in this church. Uh, there was a leader, I think his name was Claudius or something along those lines, Claudius, uh, who had actually removed all of the Jews from Rome. And so the Christian church exists and we have Jewish people who have given their lives to Christ, so to speak, and are practicing in the Roman church. There's both Jews and there's Gentiles. And then this political leader comes along and says, the Jews, you need to go the Gentiles, you can stay. And so the Jews vacated the Roman church and the Roman church became just Gentile. This is key to understanding the book of Romans because the book of Romans was written after Nero, who is now in leadership, so nicely allows the Jews to come back And so many of us are like, that's amazing. Like finally, we had a leader who made a wise decision and didn't discriminate against people. Nero was the greatest tyrant of all time. He was absolutely horrible to the people and more specifically to the church. And so now when Paul's writing this letter to the Romans, the Jews have returned back to a predominantly Gentile church that's been under persecution for generations, and remains under persecution under Nero. And then the Jews return back, and it's interesting because it's, it's like this. This never happens in church, right? The Jews return back, and they see what the Gentiles have done to their church. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, the, you, you have messed this all up. You're not honoring, like, not eating meat. Like, you're eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. You're eating pork and different things. Like you can't do any of that. Like what, what are you doing? Like, you... You have ruined our church. We needed to go back the way we had it before we ever left. And that leads Paul into a teaching in Scripture called Romans 14. And in Romans 14, the book of Romans talks about something that we have titled Disputable Matters. Now, it's interesting, uh, before we get into that, it's interesting, uh, if you look at how the book of Romans is laid out, Paul is doing this on purpose, folks. So you can't jump to chapter 14 without reading chapter 13, without reading chapter 12, without reading chapter 11, without reading chapter 10. For the love of God, stop plucking Scripture. Understand the context and learn where we're at. If we're ever gonna understand why church We have to stop using scripture in a worldly way to prove our point and start to read scripture as the Holy Spirit breathed it through the human beings. So, chapter 12, a living sacrifice, humble service to the body of Christ, love in action. You'll see Paul constantly coming back to this whole concept of love and what love looks like. Chapter 13 Guess what? Submission to the authorities. It's all tied together. Submission to the authorities. And then he moves out of submission to the authorities into how love fulfills the law. And he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves, offer, loves others has fulfilled the law. Remember that tension? Tension? You're eating meat and you're not supposed to be eating that meat. Like you're not obeying the law. And Paul says, actually, love is the way that you go about obeying the law. But he follows that conversation of love. What's above it is submission to Nero, the tyrant, the worst leader in history. And then he talks about how the the day is near. We hear all that kind of talk, especially during COVID about how the day is near. Uh, Jesus says we'll never know. So anybody who says that they know, that's interesting. Because apparently they know more than Jesus, right? So I don't know more than Jesus, and so I don't know. And and so he goes into a quick uh, teaching where he says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. What a beautiful phrase, right? The deeds of darkness. Understand... Obviously, that's happening in this Roman church. They're putting on the deeds of darkness, and he is saying, put off the deeds of darkness and put on the deeds of light. Uh, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in the carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Does everybody remember how scripture actually defines the word spl- flesh? Splash? Flesh? Flesh is the way of the world. So it's not just a physical or sexual thing, but, but uh, uh, living in the flesh is living with the world's desires, living in a worldly way, essentially living with, uh, pushing with our own desires rather than the desires of Christ within us. So the Apostle Paul in all of this writes this uh, thing about how do we disagree together? How do we bring unity in the midst of the Jews and the Gentiles arguing about how we go about doing church, how we go about doing life, and so on? Now, it's very obvious in this passage that disagreements are very common. And how many would say that disagreements are still very common The problem is, is in our world, we don't actually know how to have them. We don't actually know how to dialogue in a healthy, critical way. It's just like, I'm right, you're wrong, and you must be an idiot because you're wrong, and I'm right. And I know truth, and you don't know truth, and so on and so forth. This is the way the dialogue has been for years, even before COVID, especially in the Christian church. Disagreements will be common, but how do we go about doing it? How we go about doing it actually determines our ability to worship. Are we willing to go before God and give an account, he says in Romans 14. In Romans 14, 12, he says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Are you prepared, based on this past year, to go before the Lord when he knows everything you said in your mind, in your heart, and out loud in your mouth. Because in this passage, he talks about being able to confidently go before the Lord in the midst of dispute, in the midst of disagreeing. Now, this posture that he calls us to is, is actually in everything. And so what we want to do quickly is draw you into what Romans 14 and 15 actually teach. Now, I'm going to encourage you to read the whole context of it. We are going to pull different pieces out. So I've gone through and essentially summarized for us what this passage actually teaches about how we go about disputing matters of our conscience. I'm saying all of this with the caveat of, we all do this poorly and sometimes we do it well. So as we walk through this, keep in mind, Jews returned, Gentiles are there, church has been going fine, Jews come back, what did you do to my church? And we've got this new conflict about what worship actually looks like. Well, in Romans 14, verses seven to eight, listen to what it says. Romans 14, verses seven to eight. I think you'll have this now, Phil. I've been messing with Phil back there, reading passages off the cuff that he didn't even know I was gonna read. Um, for none of us lives for ourselves alone. Hmm. Remember that. None of us live for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for who? Who? The Lord. How many people are living in front of me right now? So far, so good. We're all still alive, right? The sermon's not over yet. So. Uh, and if we die, who do we die for? The Lord. Do, do you see that it's actually all about Jesus to Paul? Not about us? So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord for this very reason. Christ died and returned to life. We live for God alone, no matter what the circumstances or the dispute. So when we're in a dispute, when we're disagreeing about something, we do it in the Lord, not us. That's a Christian posture, living for God alone. Every morning we get up for who? Jesus. Every night we go to bed for who? Jesus. Remember how I connected in my very first sermon of why church? Because they were so convinced that Jesus died and he rose again and that he lived, that he gave up everything. They gave up everything. They weren't like, well, you know, I'll sell my house eventually. Well, you know, I got to go to work on Monday. You know, I got this thing I got to take care of. It was just like, no. He's alive. And they just went. That's the expectation of scripture. Live for God alone. I'm kind of taking most of the mojo here. Eh? Do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> The next point is Roman 14, verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So what happens is this disputable matter, it's, it's based around the eating of meat that's been sacrificed to idols. It's based around their different versions of special days. Um, and they're arguing essentially about whether, you know, the Jews are obviously believing that the meat that's been sacrificed to idols is a huge no-no in the law. And so we can't be eating that. And the Gentiles who were pagans originally before they were Christians are like, it's meat. Like, you feel that? I'm like, it's meat. It's steak. Like, I'm gonna eat the steak. I don't care what, like, it's, it's meat. But then like Pastor Tamil, not so much.
1: Red meat.
0: Yeah, she she, she doesn't eat red meat. We just told the world. (laughs) And so how do her and I get along when I'm like, eat the meat, and she's like, don't eat the meat? How do we do this? How do we navigate this? Now, what this means in this passage, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love, is they're saying that there's a mature person and an immature person. Now, it's interesting, because in chapter 14, to Paul, the mature person is actually the Gentile believer. But if we jump over to 1 Corinthians, he has a similar conversation. And in Corinthians, it's the Jewish believer who is the, is the, uh, the more mature. And so don't, don't read this and go, well, you know, the Gentile way of doing things is actually the ma- more mature way. It, Paul flips, depending on the different circumstances and depending how each group is, na- is navigating these different things. And so then he calls on the mature person to not cause distress to the other. And so if I run out to Wendy's and I get us some food as we're working on editing the video. Never happens. Never happens. No, Wendy's doesn't even, we don't even need to order. They just (laughs) know. Don't ask
1: Brad and Teresa who empty the garbage cans.
0: Yeah. (laughs) As we've been working on the editing of the services and stuff like that. And, and, you know, Pastor Tamil's like, I need chicken. That's the only meat I'll eat is chicken. And I'm like, forget that. She's eating meat. She's eating red meat. I'm getting her red meat. She's got no choice but to do what I think is right. And Paul's saying that actually that kind of an attitude, that actually puts distress on the other person. And you're actually no longer acting in love.
1: Yeah, and I mean, in our case, it's preference. But in this case, you've got to think, if you grew up Jewish, there's a lot to that—that that law, right? A, about what what people ate actually made uh, was really significant in this culture, right? And so, it's not like that you could just sit down with a gentile and they could be like, "No, it's totally cool, just eat the meat." And you'd be like, "Oh, okay, right?" So the, the posture that that it's really actually um, there's a lot of depth to this. There's a lot of like emotional intelligence, right? Like understanding yeah. where people are at, why they're there, and being sensitive to one another. in in community for the sake of of love. I don't want to jump ahead. Does everybody
0: know what emotional intelligence is? Yeah, emotional intelligence is, if you don't know what it is, I'll tell you. (laughs) And I'm not a psychologist, so in any way, you know, like, you can look this up. Try not to Google it, though. Like, go to actual, like, experts. Um, Emotional intelligence, essentially, bare bones is this. Your ability to understand the other point of view to put yourself in the other person's shoes and to understand where they're coming from before you react emotionally to the situation. And actually, it is proven statistically that in North America specifically, us human beings really lack emotional intelligence. We're not so good at putting ourselves in other people's shoes and understanding where they're coming from, but imagine if you could. That's kind of what Paul's saying here is imagine if you could understand where the Jew's coming from. Mm -hmm. Would you force them to do something that's a matter of their conscience that would distress them? Or would you let it go through an act of love?
1: And the other side of it is uh, being aware of our own internal reactions, right? So that's kind of the other dynamic that goes along with that is if if I'm a Jewish person and I see you a Gentile eating meat, I might be horrified by that. Right? But understanding that, uh, that there's a reason that that's because of my upbringing, that, you know, but, and not judging, right? And so yeah. there's kind of two sides of it. And it's really beautiful um, how Paul is sensitive to that in this yeah. passage. It's very real. I mean, this is the, the meat thing. It's difficult for us to understand, but we see this in all kinds of situations in our world, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, great examples hymns versus choruses, disputable matter. There's no right, there's no wrong but I could show you some proof that some people think there's a right and a wrong in that dispute, right? What did you do to my church? Now you're all singing choruses. I remember the day when we used to sing. Or what are you doing to our church? You're singing all hymns. I want this contemporary thing. Do you notice something? I want, I want, that's acting outside of love. Right? So here's here's the posture, living for God alone, acting in love. And then Romans 14, 19, we're running out of time.
1: Is there a limit? I think you set the computer to three hours. Yeah, I think
0: so. I think so. Yeah, we're good, right? It's our first time back. You guys are willing. All right. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do, here's what he's saying. Here's how you interact with these different uh, opinions. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And so that's point number three. We need to have a posture, living for God alone, acting in love, and do what leads to peace and mutual edification. When we first went into this and we called our congregation to listen, to not miss what God's saying, we went into sermon series on Psalm 23, and the whole point of the sermon series of Psalm 23 was to learn to rest in God to learn to 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 just slow things down that God's pulled us out of all of our culture and now we need to just slow things down and we need to learn and we need to listen we need to listen and lament we need to listen and learn and then we moved into i don't remember i think a series a salad? on Yeah, the tossed salad. And then we moved into a peacemaking series. And we've done a whole bunch of, of, of different things. All feeling nudged by God to teach these things so that we can posture ourselves through COVID and come out on the other side as a good witness to the world. That was the whole point, folks. We were trying to teach you scripture to say this is how we should be reacting, this is how we should be living, this is how we should be talking to one another. In other words, do what leads to peace and mutual edification. If we jump down to verse 22, he says, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Hmm. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Sometimes folks, our opinions are best kept between us and God. They're not best to be vocalized because they will not lead us to mutual peace and mutual edification. Anybody experienced that over the past year? Or so, right? We're all guilty of this. This is, this is the thing, right? We're human beings who are trying to figure out how to live our lives for Jesus. But scripture guides us, right? And we say, we prop this up as, as the slight evangelical piece of our wing. We're mostly Anabaptists, by the way. Thank you, Jesus. But the slight evangelical, we really prop this up, both as Anabaptists and evangelicals, but yet we really don't like listen to it. Because it's all there. Now, so you keep your opinions sometimes between yourself and God. And in Romans verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. Listen to what he says here. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Faith, folks, is essentially trusting God. So every time we're not doing something by faith, every time we're not trusting God, it's not like, you know, sin is smoking a cigarette or sin is using a cuss word or sin is this or sin is that. Paul is actually saying that everything that does not come from faith is sin because everything that is not Jesus is missing the mark. That's the theological definition. You don't have anything to say about sin?
1: Not a thing. <laughs> uh, no, I do think that like what he just said there is really cool though, because if you and definitely like read it read it through when you have a chance. But he's saying, you know what, a gentile could try to push meat on a Jewish person, but if that person doesn't feel right about it in their heart, if they're not if they don't feel good about it, it actually is sin. It becomes sin because they're That's not right. able to do it with a good conscience. And so there is a reality where, you know, we don't we don't push things on other people because we think that that you know it's it's right from our opinion, right? It's, we need to be yeah. sensitive to how, where other people are at. So that, that's really beautiful how he uh, works through that.
2: Let's
0: jump to, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to live by faith. Uh, Romans 15.1. We who are strong, so he's talking specifically to the Gentiles there. In this case, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves there he's back to that sort of individualistic thing not to please ourselves we're actually supposed to bear with one another and we hear paul echo that in ephesians when he's talking about unity that we have to have the ability to bear with one another to work through these kinds of matters together sometimes keep it to ourselves sometimes uh, you know act on our conscience and in a loving way explain why This is happening. And if we jump to verse two, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. How does the Bible define neighbor? Like he's not, yes, he means your neighbor, right? But essentially he's saying everyone, right? So, so Um, Each of us should please our neighbors for their good in order to build them up. So we bear with one another and we learn to please our neighbor. And we jump to verse five. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Think about that. Take on the attitude of, of the servanthood and the sacrifice that Jesus lived. So be willing to serve your your neighbor, the other person. It's not directly about you. Serve others to build them up. Sacrifice yourself like Jesus did. What kind of sacrifice did Jesus do for us? He was willing to give up his life. Now, if we jump to verse six, jump in at any time, by the way. Uh, verse six, so that, so he's gonna continue that thought, with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this attitude that we take on of Christ, this servanthood, this sacrificial attitude, that is what actually opens the door to having one mind and one voice so that we may glorify God. He's insinuating something here, folks. When we're not taking on the posture of Christ, we are not glorifying God. This is a worship problem. And this is included in our meetings. This isn't just like outside of our meetings in your everyday life. This is like what we do here too, how we posture ourselves in online church too. All of it is interconnected because worship isn't just a love song. Worship is a life. It's what we live or don't live. And so he's connecting our attitudes to our worship. And verse seven, the last verse for teaching, well, almost. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I don't don't know about you folks, but we are called to live a radical acceptance. You know how I know that? Because I don't understand how it is possible that Christ accepted me. Because if it's possible that Christ accepted me, and it's possible that Christ accepted you, Who are we to turn down another? You see that radical acceptance that he calls us to in this posture of of disagreeing where we're accepting another even if they think differently than us? Because Christ accepted us and we naturally think differently than him. We have to live in a posture of radical acceptance acceptance. And the result of this leads us into unity. In Romans 15, 13, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Trust in Jesus is kind of the key here, right? So as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you're trusting in God, you're overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many, if we were really honest with ourselves, have kind of lost some hope? Like I think over this COVID-19 journey, there were times where we, we felt like a bit of a feeling, like there's some hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and then it was just like, boom, we lost our hope, right? We were placing our hope in all the wrong places. Our hope has to rest in our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That is where... The power of the Holy Spirit overflows us with hope.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I have like a thousand thoughts and I'm just trying to not make this go on.
0: Yeah, we got to wrap it up.
1: Forever. But I think, you know, one of the, one, one thing that's true is that no one, we, we grow in community, right? And when we put up walls, when our opinions act as walls that keep us from each other, we can't have comfort conversations. We can't learn from one another. And it, it, it destroys our communities, right? And so we know this to be true. And one thing that I, I've been thinking about just this past week is I've kind of been driving and see signs about, you know, love. And I, I like at the beginning of this pandemic, especially there are all these signs out, we put things in our windows, kids were drawing pictures for, you know, emergency workers and stuff like that. And it's like our world knows that love matters, that love is like important. But when you more honestly reflect over the last year, man, do we struggle with it, Yeah. right? Man, do we struggle with it. But... As followers of Jesus, like, we have a, a model of what real love looks like, and it's, it's centered in sacrifice, right? It's centered in being willing to lay down our lives for others. Here we see setting aside even our opinions for others, but, but putting Christ, keeping Christ at the center. Yeah, yeah. And I, I heard one time a pastor say, if you want to increase the gravity in a solar system, you need to increase the size of the sun, and I was thinking about using it in a sermon, and I don't like to lie in sermons. So I was like, is that true? Is that scientifically <laughs> true? And uh, as I was researching it, I still have a lot of complicated words I don't understand. But um, I think it is true. You would die also. So we don't want to increase the size of the sun. <laughs> but, uh, but that's how you increase, like, gravity would be increased. And So as we, as a community, like, a lot of this is keeping what the most important thing actually is, Jesus, Mm-hmm. Keeping Jesus the most important thing, yeah, right? And when that's the case, when Jesus is everything to us, suddenly, like, what kind of burgers you eat and what kind of chicken I eat yeah. isn't going to separate us and break down our, our community.
0: Yeah, like, and we see this all the time, right? Like, some think the Pentecostal way is the way. Some think the Baptist way is the way. And they, they don't like the Pentecostals. And so we have all these different kind of opinions, but they're actually all disputable opinions, We can have them, but we need to have them in unity and in love. We need to learn to actually get along, not compete with one another, but be actually part of the same kingdom under the same God, right? Because unity shows the world that Jesus Christ is our Lord, that nothing else, that no one else is our Lord. Unity shows that Jesus is the center of our lives, that we've placed our trust in Jesus. Unity creates good witness and it opens space for genuine worship. But in no way is the apostle Paul, nor are we, saying your matter of conscience should be ignored. It's actually about having the ability to have emotional intelligence, to hear out the other person and have good dialogue. I function in two worlds. I function in the pastoral world, but then I also function in the academic and seminary world. And oh, what a difference. Like I get called certain labels and different things by church folks, but in the academic world, I'm often labeled the exact opposite of that. In the academic world, we can write papers against one another and disagree and be, be debating different things and, and then like all go out for lunch. In the church world, it seems like we have to all agree uniformly. Is that the word? Whatever. Theologians also make up words. So I don't know. I might not have. But... We don't all have to have uniformity to have unity. We don't all have to agree perfectly. We can have good, critical dialogue. And we have lost that in the Christian church. So in the academic world, it, it thrives, and, and like I have a lot of fun with it. In the church world, it petrifies me because it, it's what gets me horrible emails and stuff. If you're offended, what this passage is saying is it's the perfect opportunity to love. not to re-offend, not to get them back, not to. So when you're offended, it's the perfect opportunity to unify and be a good witness, to show love. The only way to unity, folks, is love. It's just really that simple. If we go back to Romans 13, eight, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law.
1: Yeah, one thing we all know is that our world, right now, is incredibly polarized. Not just the church, the church is polarized, but the world is polarized. We don't know how to do conflict well, right? And so I think in this moment, as we start, even as we start to regather at Evergreen, you know, we have an opportunity to show the to show the world, like we should be actually the experts in peacemaking and the experts in love. And I know we've done it imperfectly here and in every church, because we're we're human beings. But it's a beautiful opportunity for us to work at it and to flex those muscles and yep. uh, to, sh- to show the world how to love and to show the world the love of Christ yeah. for what it is. Yeah.
0: The only way to unity is love. And so It is my hope that as we move forward as a community, that Evergreen will move forward in a unity that is surrendering itself to the love of Jesus Christ. That if we've been offended, we would take that opportunity to love. That if we're struggling with an opinion, that we would take that opportunity to have good, healthy, Christ-centered dialogue about it to not get our backs up, but to actually put ourselves in the other person's shoes and to hear the, the issue from their point of view, not ours. The posture of Jesus-centered love, folks, is actually what accomplishes everything. We have a video as we wrap up today that we want you to just spend uh, um, a few moments just listening to and reflecting, and then it'll come back to us and we'll close. Go ahead.
2: This is when we know what love is Jesus cracked oh. ice, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, don't just talk about your love. Put your love into action. Then it will truly be love. Let us love. Comes the invitation from the beloved community. A community following Jesus so long that defined their whole beings by it. Let us love little children. They encouraged each other as if this love was something that was yet unknown and needed to be practiced like a baby carefully watching the footsteps of others until she finally discovers her own feet can move in this way. Wobbly and imperfect, but still walking, still following in the way. Let us love little children, not in word or in speech, but as if our whole bodies are learning this new grace. Let us be bold in learning this new movement, for we will falter, and it won't be perfect just as we are not perfect. Little children, it will feel new and awkward, and it should. It should feel strange to twist and turn our bodies into love's possibility, to learn how to love in the way of Christ, who is still trying to encourage us to love one another. Let this be what defines us now, In this moment. Not so that they will know that we are Christians, but so that we know who that God's love abides. God's love abides in me. God's love abides in you. I am in you, and you are in me. And this changes everything. That is our prayer right now that we will come to believe enough that God's love abides in us and be so changed. Oh Christ, may it be so.
1: Amen. Christ, may it be so. May, that, may this be so of us as a community. It has been wonderful to see all of your faces, to those of you are, who are here this morning. And as a, as a reminder, like seeing your faces is reminding me that there are many other faces watching online. And so if you're watching online, I mean, people who are here, like you're stuck here, it'd be awkward for you to get up and go. We've gone a little bit longer than usual this morning. So if you're online, thanks for sticking with us for the long haul this morning. Um, but we really feel that this is an important conversation. Yeah. Uh, before... Before we wrap up, I just want to leave you with a question to kind of chew on and hopefully have conversations with family and friends and small groups. One of the things we've been talking about with our leadership teams and we've been talking about as pastors is what is the opportunity that God has for us as a church in this season? As we start to reopen, this whole time we've been like, we don't want to just go back and just rush back to going back to, to the way things were. We want to really discern, is there, are there things God's calling us to move away from, to not go yeah. back to at all? And are there new things that God is calling us into? How can we move forward faithfully? So chew on that, pray through that, reflect on that. We're actually hoping to have a time to gather when we can have more yeah. people in the same room to kind of share some of our reflections, the ways that God has been speaking to us yeah. about that, and, uh, and we're really excited about it. Um, yeah, I'm, would you pray with me? Let's pray, as we close. God, thank you so much uh, for this time uh, together. Thank you for this community. God, for the people in this room, for the people online, for Evergreen Heights, and, uh, and for your, your church, God, for, for the whole church, even those who aren't a part of Evergreen. God, we think there's Christians uh, in our community and across the world who are also sifting through this same question. And uh, God, your, your kingdom is among us. And I pray that you would help us discern how to live that faithfully and to represent you. Um, Yeah, help us to be people who experience and extend your love and your kingdom in our world. Amen. I'm going to close with the blessing uh, that Paul uses in this very passage. I'm going to pray it over you. But before we do that, I just want to say one thing. Happy Father's Day.
0: Oh, I completely forgot it was Father's Day.
1: Yeah. High fives, all the fathers. You guys are great. I think Legit, we did like a whole I
0: totally <laughs> forgot it was Father's we Day. We did a
1: whole thing for <laughs> Mother's Day. No, but yeah, we, we appreciate you and no. uh, you guys are great. So yeah. happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: And thanks for coming, everybody. And we'll see some next week again, we hope. May the Lord bless you.